But during that entire process, your body is literally waging war on that filler, right? It's trying to get rid of that filler. And that process of trying to break it down is inflammatory. I mean, that's the very nature. It's creating an inflammatory process to dissolve this filler. And the filler is fighting back with all their cross-linking and making it really hard on the, on the body to, to dissolve it. And that tug-of-war consequence is collagen in the way of scar tissue. Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome Welcome to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I know that we're professionals here on this podcast, but (laughs) I've never seen Kirby, like, lose her over how handsome our next guest is y'all our next guest <laughs> i have i'm turning red i'm turning yeah, red like she um, was like fanning herself i don't think i can meet this man <laughs> like i know that i'm i'm going to see him in a few years and uh, he's going to like words. really see you and he's your insights in my insights <laughs> if you follow me you know that i'm absolutely obsessed with before and afters of facelifts i think it's truly incredible Plastic surgeons who specialize in facelifts are artistes. Mm -hmm. Put them in the Louvre. I am shook at their before and afters. So I started following several artists, I'm just going to call them. They are surgeons, but artists from around the country, around the world. One of them is Dr. Karam, Dr. Amir Karam. He's based in San Diego. There is Dr. Giacano, who is based in New York, right? But then there's Dr. Karam. And I feel like these two are like making the world go round, okay? Dr. Karam, though, specializes in a facelift technique called the vertical restore. He's going to talk all about it, so I'm not going to get into it. And I just think the work that he does is so interesting because it's not like the facelifts of yesteryear where you look pulled and tucked and all that stuff. It really, the results truly make these people because men get them to look 30 years younger it is absolutely insane and the thing about dr karam is that you know he posts before and afters and all that good stuff but he's so knowledgeable about skin and how it ages yeah i feel like that was the one of the bigger surprising takeaways i got from the conversation was just how I mean, one knowledgeable he was, like you said, in yep. in all things skin. Um, but that, like, taking care of your skin was his, like, number one most recommended, you know, tip for aging gracefully. Right. It wasn't like, oh, you need to come in and do all of these, you know, procedures. It was, it was like, no, actually, like, you can take care of your own skin at home. Here's what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, you would expect a plastic surgeon to be like, fix it with plastic surgery. The end. But really, he put a huge emphasis on why you need to be wearing sunscreen every single day. Start now. If you're not, do it. He goes into detail about how 
you know, he does facelifts. This is his bread and butter. He's only doing facelifts, okay? He's not doing them twice a month. He's doing them literally every single day. He's in and out of surgery. You can do only so much with lifting like the vertical plane of your face and making it look more youthful, right? But if you're not taking care of your skin and you're constantly out in the sun, you're not using things to help gently exfoliate or help with cell turnover and stuff like that, it's still kind of a giveaway of of your age, right? And it's like, and again, y'all, we have a very complicated relationship with surgery here. We want everyone to embrace everything that they love about themselves. But if you want to change something about yourself and it's you driving that decision, we are all about mm-hmm. it. Hence why I plan on getting a vertical restore when I turn 40. And, and honestly, it sounded like a lot of his uh, clients, um, patients, I should say, uh, feel the same way, Kirby. Like it's like, you know, they've sat with their faces for 50 plus years. This is something that they want to do for themselves. Um, and he's like obviously very supportive of that. I just, I loved him. I loved him. He is so, when you listen to this conversation, you're going to tell that he has so much to say because so he just knows so much about how the skin works. And also he knows a lot about things like fillers that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk to Dr. Samolitis about this all the time. She's like, listen, I'm not like opening up people's faces and seeing what's underneath, but I defer to my plastic surgeon friends who are telling me like, guess what? That filler that we all said was going to disappear after 18 months is like still kind of sticking around in the long term like literally sticking 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 around he has a crazy story about that not (sighs) for the faint of heart he has his own skincare line really this particular podcast episode is all about facial aging so if you're kind of curious like how does the face age like what are some things i should be thinking about if i really kind of want to be proactive about aging gracefully and like keeping things looking smooth and bright and all of those things He's going to go so in-depth about that. Like he definitely mentions things that you might not think of initially when you think of, you know, facial aging for sure, which he just, again, so much knowledge, um, so charming. So charming. And I do want to give his background so y'all aren't like, why is this this, man giving us- Who is this handsome man? Very handsome man. (laughs) Works to his advantage. So Dr. Karam is double board certified by the American Board of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, as well as the American Board of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. Wow. Okay. He has published over 20 peer-reviewed research articles, contributed to more than 25 surgical textbook chapters on facial plastic surgery, and has co-authored his own surgical textbook, Rejuvenation of the Aging Face. So definitely one of the leaders in this space and definitely has the background to be able to discuss it and he's done over 6,000 successful procedures his clients come in from across the globe Um, he primarily focuses on two different type of patented surgeries one being vertical restore and one is vertical prevent that addresses laxity and the facial shape changes that are associated with aging he's won countless awards and has been recognized all over the place featured in so many publications and then his brand Karam MD has three different products and they just launched a polish. It's an enzymatic exfoliating powder. I'm very excited to try it. And they wanted to offer our Glam Julinos a little discount. So if you listen to this episode, you're like, love this man, want to try his products, we got you. So there's a 15% off code. If you use Gloss 15 on 
carammdskin.com. It'll be live starting today, Friday, August 5th, and then it'll run through September 5th. So for a month, you can get this 15% off on carammdskin.com. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Okay, so Dr. Karam, you have to know that like, I am obsessed with your account. Literally, I think like anytime you post, I share it to my feed or my Instagram story. I'm like, I will be getting this done in three to four years. Yeah, it's like your 50th, no, was it 50th, 40th birthday? No, I said 40. I said, I'm going to see Dr. Karam when I'm 39 so I can be ready to go at 40. I don't know about that. You look great. Well, okay, see, <laughs> that's why they pay you the big bucks, though, because, like, you've got the charm, too, you see. You know what my favorite thing is, too? Like, when you go to Dr. Karam's page and you see, like, all the people who follow him that you know, you're like, oh, you know. All of you know. I'm taking credit for that because I guarantee you, <laughs> Emily, his publicist, True. was just on. But, like, I could be his publicist at this point. Like, I am literally talking about you nonstop because you do incredible work. You are an artist. And one thing that I think Sarah and I both really love and respect about you is that you're very forthcoming with information, which I think is a rarity, especially in your space. I feel like a lot of people are like, I don't know, you know, like, uh, I feel like everybody's gatekeeping, but you're kind of like laying it out there. Like, this is what works. This is what will not work. There are some things that you can do for preventative measures. There are things that are scams. Like I saw a video you did recently, like, Oh, yeah. 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 The scam video. (laughs) The beauty industry scams, which I thought was really informative. So I think we want to dive into all of the nuances of your work. But we kick off every episode with a segment called What's on Your Face. And we know you have your own skincare line, which we will talk about. But I'm curious, are there any products and it doesn't have to be on your face, but are there any products that you're loving right now that you want to shout out? So here's the thing. I'm not so much about the product, you know, brand per se, as the ingredient that's the key. You know, I mean, a retinols are generally a retinol, you know, vitamin C for the most part is vitamin C and isinamide is an isinamide. So it's more about making sure that you're on all the right things, regardless per se of the specific brand. Now, of course, there's, you know, some brands that have a, you know, a little bit better credibility, reliability, because even within those categories, there's high quality products that, you know, have improved absorption, all that kind of stuff. So that's really what it's about. I mean, before I had our own product line, it's an interesting kind of a story we'll get into hopefully later, but the products we were using were ZO and and that was like our main one. And then we had certain elements like the uh, TNS essential serum uh, serum from Skin Medica, you know, the the big ones that we've always used LTMD for our our sunscreen. That was kind of our go-tos, you know, and partly just because it was familiarity with it. And there's just so many different things out there that it's, it's hard to to judge them, you know, without, uh, without personally using them and then recommending them to your patients. So in general, it's more about figuring out the right combination of things that are, that are just necessary for everyone's skin, because skin's not that complicated from a understanding point of view. You know, anti-aging is like, you know, one of those terms that people don't like to say anymore, but I think it's also like what people are actually Googling. (laughs) So in terms of ingredients for, you know, anti-aging, would you say like vitamin C is essential, retinol, whether it be like tretinoin or niacinamide, are those like kind of the three horsemen of anti-aging? 
kind of. Okay, so think about it this way. So what happens to the skin as a result of aging? So the things that are happening is that you're you're seeing an overall decrease in the production of collagen. You know, think of it as the cells are the fibroblasts of these collagen fact, and then they just stop producing as much collagen as time goes on. So what's the net effect of that? Dermis starts to get thin, and when the dermis starts to get thin, you start to see lines and wrinkles, you start to see crepiness. So that's kind of a, an important fundamental change. Then there's changes in the way that the skin can remain hydrated or, or balanced from an oil point of view. So it becomes a little bit drier as it ages, which then exacerbates the fine lines and wrinkles. Then you've got changes that is manifested by pigment on the skin. And that's simply also because the melanocytes, the cells that produce melanin that have been suppressed when we're younger, then just start spewing out more melanin, which then cluster into pigments on the surface of the skin. So there's pigment changes that are happening. And then there's overall kind of like, you know, loss of tone integrity, which then causes the pores to get collapsed and then causes them to clog up. The epidermis starts to get thickened, which causes the skin to get more dull as that upper layer starts to become accumulated of all these dead skin. So all these things are happening simultaneously. So that's why it's it's tricky. The more you learn about skin, I mean, I'm just kind of like, that's part of the story. But but when you start learning more and more and more about the changes that are happening, when the more you realize that you can't rely on just two or three or four particular areas because absolutely the ones you mentioned are essential. With those three, you're not addressing the, the oil and hydration balance. That's where like hyaluronic acid comes in. That's where lipids come in. Then you say, all right, well, then what about pigmentation. Of course, retinol and, and vitamin C affect pigmentation. They suppress melanocytes from producing melanin. But then there's all these other things that can be done on a botanical level or non-hydroquinone level that are also decreasing. So synergistically suppressing pigments from producing. And then, so you take the whole thing and everything, you're like, well, you know what? The story is actually pretty easy to understand, but then the treatment is pretty complicated because then you're requiring you to hit on all these different levels. And, but if you do, you're going to have, you know, truly anti-aging because that's the one thing I would say, I think, like you said, we all want it and it's really to defy, but skin aging is the one thing 100% we can actually prevent from happening. You know, a combination of being super diligent with sun protection and making sure you're on the right active ingredients every single day, literally for the rest of your life. That's the one thing that no matter where you are in the skin aging spectrum, you can either prevent the skin from actually aging if you happen to be young enough to, to start doing these things, or if you're older and your skin's a little bit more matured and showing signs of aging, you can actually restore the skin with time doing the right things over and over again. And I liken it to basically like at any stage of your life, if you get into the gym, work out every day, eat, have a good diet, you know, so your diet exercise is consistent, you know, your body's just going to keep I mean, you could be 70 and have this amazing body. And the skin is the exact same way. If you can address those changes and maintain them, you're going you're gonna to benefit from it. Love that. Speaking of someone who is obsessed with aging or anti-aging, we have to address some gossip. So Kim Kardashian came out in that interview with Allure stating that she has never had any filler ever. And Kirby and I have talked at length about this already. We are not the experts. We are not doctors. Yeah, we don't analyze faces for a living. <laughs> that too. <laughs> we just like to gossip. So I know you shared this on your Instagram, but can you share like your exact thoughts on what is going on with her face? Well, okay, so here's the thing. And I honestly, I, I mean this honestly, when I posted that you know video, it was really about this concept of, you know, I think a lot of celebrities and people in positions of influence, social influence, for some reason, it's almost like they're ashamed to admit that there's actual aging happening to them. It's almost like they have the superpower that's supposed to defy aging genetically somehow. And the trouble with that is 
everyone else who's sitting back and aging normally, you know, they're seeing all the things that we just talked about with the skin. And then, you know, they're seeing volume loss happen. They're starting to see their jawline sag and their neck sag. They're just wondering like, well, what's wrong with me? Number one, like, is there something that, you know, genetically I have going on that they don't have or B, are they doing something that they're outsmarting the system? They're, you know, they're hacking the whole system and it puts people into this state of sort of like general unknown insecurity, et cetera. Whether Kim is using certain products, I think the consensus among most people is like, you know, if you're in your 40s or whatever it is, you probably have had some volume loss. And, and if you don't look like you've had volume loss, then most likely you've replaced that volume with a little bit of filler. I honestly don't know. And I don't even think that's the point of the whole whole story. The reality of the matter is, you know, let's take somebody who's in their 50s, most likely if they don't look like they have any jaw, you know, jowling or any neck laxity, 97%, 98%, 99% of the time, it's because they've had a procedure to, to correct it because the normal aging process really starts setting in typically around the, the late 40s and really starts manifesting into the 50s. So if you don't look like you had it, it unless you're super rare and blessed with awesome genetics, which will eventually catch up anyway, but the reality is you're probably of somebody who's had like a little, you know, a surgical procedure to take up the jawline and, you know, neck laxity. But I just think that the denial of that type of stuff, if you have in fact done it, it's sort of uh, dangerous and a little bit in some ways, maybe even you might even say it's a little unethical because especially if you're, you know, selling something that you're saying, Hey, it's because of my say skin treatment and my skincare line, or, you know, because of this, that, that that's why I'm not aging, you know, that, that doesn't feel totally right and authentic. And I think from a fan base point of view, people, I think would love it if they're the people that they, you know, they look up to or like, or, you know, admire would just be straight with them and say, Hey, I'm going through the same stuff you're going through. And this is what I've done. This is the solutions that I found. How refreshing and awesome would that be, you know, at the end of the day? Totally. I'm a fan of Kim Kardashian. Like I call her like my problematic fave. Like there are things about her that I'm like, girl, come on. But I do like her. And I think when we talked about this previously, I feel like maybe she wasn't lying, but like it was almost lying by omission. So like maybe she didn't get filler, but she got like a Cupid lift or she got like yeah. a version of vertical restorers, you know what I mean? To make her look more taut. But the other part of it too, and I, I'm actually really curious about your thoughts on this is like, it's kind of similar to JLo when she came out with her beauty line. She said, you know, the reason why I look like this is because I grew up using olive oil or whatever. And so the magical ingredient in these products is olive oil. And people are like, yeah, right. You've gotten Botox. But when you look at pictures of JLo that haven't been edited, she has lines and she has hollows under her eyes and she has wrinkles. She looks like a 52, 53 year old woman. So I feel like part of the reason some of these celebrities are shooting themselves in the foot is because their photos online are so overly edited that then it becomes hard for the consumer to actually believe that they haven't had any work done. Oh, but then totally. when they see them in real life, they're like, oh, wait, you do have lines and pores and wrinkles and jowls and whatever. It's interesting you use that example because a little while ago, I think I did a post about reality versus, you know, whatever. And it was really to point out to all those people who, who look at, say, JLo, who's I think in her early 50s or whatever, and looks flawless in every possible way, including like not a single pore on her face, et cetera. And they're wondering, again, for themselves, why do I have these changes? But then you look at, like you said, an unedited photo that somebody captures at some place and you see, you know, pores, you see a little bit of hollows, laxity, crepiness, you know, all the stuff. And you're like, okay, you know, she's human. So she, like everyone else can have those things, but why not just be straight about it? I guess it's the whole thing. I don't think it takes away anything, but it is, 
it does kind of lose its uh, value if you say, hey, I've been doing these things and that's why I look so great, but my photos are all, you know, edited. And <laughs> so it gets very, very gray and very difficult for a, for a consumer or a fan to understand where to go from there. So when your patients come in, especially your patients who are like trying to like, you know, they want to look like the JLo's and Kim Kardashian's and they have sort of these like unrealistic goals or visions of what they're going to look like? Like, how do you advise them or what do you say to them? It's interesting. I don't know if it's just because of the style that I have out there, but I've always attracted a very realistic type of a patient. People who A, want natural looking results, who want to look like themselves. Like, And I think especially with all the social media information that we put out there, people get it. They understand it. They understand what they need to do and what, what's going on. So I haven't run into a lot of unrealistic patients, fortunately, you know, because those are, to me, as a patient that we just won't engage with. I mean, we go through a big process. It goes both ways. They're selecting me, but I'm also selecting them to see if we're a good fit together because there's nothing worse in this industry. And I think if anyone in the industry is listening to this, they'll know there's nothing worse than not meeting a patient's expectations. You know, that is like, I mean, it's talk about a, a nightmare, you know, and especially when you're doing it from the perspective of a surgical thing, because they're, they're going through a downtime, they're paying a lot of money, they're doing all this stuff. And they, you need to meet their expectations. So setting the expectations properly is very, very important and behooves the, uh, the practitioner. But it always amazes me when, because once in a while we, we see, you know, like a medical spa or some you know, whatever that takes a surgical photo and they've even taken surgical photos from our sites and things and then relate it to a non-surgical treatment that they're, they're doing, you know, it's like, what, what are you doing? Like, how in the world are you going to get yourself out of this one? Like, they're going to say, Hey, I want that taut looking jawline and neck. It was because of your, your laser that did this, you know, but they don't get that. And how are they, how do they answer that? I never understood that. Totally. That's rampant, especially because, I mean, social media is a blessing and a curse, right? Like it can help really identify information that people haven't been privy to in the past. But then at the same time, we have people messaging us going, how do I find a dermatologist that I can trust? How do I, like, I want to try Botox for the first time. Like, I don't know even where to go. Or how do I know that this person is actually like delivering the results that they say they are on their website? Because people steal photos all the time. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I've had my photos taken and found them on other surgeon sites. I mean, even people in my own specialty, it's like mind blowing, to, you know, the lack of integrity there to, to do that. I think at the end of the day, as you know, I mean, you can see the kind of uh, the messages that I put out there. I really believe as an industry that the more straight we are and more honest we are, the more patients and clients we're actually going to have in the long run. Because there's so much skepticism out there. And a lot of it's been because of the, you know, the actions of just thinking short term, hey, this person walks in. And I, this is an interesting story, actually, and it kind of sets up my whole perspective on this. I had a patient early, early in practice, year, year one. She was 65 years old, came in from Arizona, really sun damaged, weather beaten skin, you know, heavy coarse lines and wrinkles, sagging of the jawline and neck. So she comes in for consultation. She came all the way from Arizona to San Diego. And, uh, you know, immediately it was like, clear. She needs a, a facelift and, you know, face and neck lift, and she needs a deep laser resurfacing. It was like so obvious. This is not, not a mystery. So we, we scheduled her for all these things. And then her husband calls me a day or two before the surgery. I remember, I'll never forget. It was like five o'clock in the evening. I'm calling him back. And he's, uh, he's like, look, Dr. Karam, I just need you to be straight with me. My wife has gone through four years and like $10,000 worth of 
of non-surgical treatments because she kept going into like one med spa after another med spa, another, you know, during practice. And everyone is giving her a different, they're the IPL, Botox, this, that, to treat this very, you know, the, the exact same thing that she was concerned about all this time. But no one gave her the surgical answer, right? They're just like, whatever they had in their office that they could treat, they would actually offer that. So this poor patient went through all of these treatments that did nothing for her, spent all this money. And the husband is like, look, we're about to retire. She really wants to look, you know, as, as good as she can. And she's really looking forward to this. Just promise me that this is actually going to work. I thought to myself, like, what a weird question. Then he told me the story Then I just, and I just realized how messed up our, our industry is in the sense that you could take one patient with such obvious surgical and heavy laser needs and go into five other different places and you're going to get five different, you know, different plans. And it's not that anyone thinks that those, you know, Botox is going to fix this problem. It's just that they look at it as, hey, I'm going to treat this person because they're here and, and whatever. And that's the fundamental problem I think that we have is, um, is we don't have like a consensus among how we should be treating, you know, these changes. And that's been a huge message about how we're, we're putting all this information out there. No. And I think like to your point, it's like if a patient walks into an office at a med spa, they're going to give them their best possible answer yeah. of, of what they have available to them. Like one thing I love about my derm is like, I'll go in and be like, I feel like I have like skin laxity here. Like, what should I do about it? And she's like, boo, you're going to need some type of surgery. Like it's, that's, that's not something I'm going to be able to fix here with like Kybella or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So I feel like I'm lucky in that way because my dermatologist is like very forthcoming with that information. But I understand why some people probably gatekeep it because they don't want them to, they want them to keep coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it's super rotten to think that way. And, and it sucks to think that we're in a medical profession and yet there is that, you know, sort of monetary motivation that goes beyond, beyond it. But there's a ton of excellent and like your dermatologists and other that are super, super straight with people and won't lead them the wrong way and all this. kind. But I, I think those are the practices slash businesses that will continue to thrive and do well and build loyalty among their. And then I think that's the problem. People don't realize that because the ones who don't do that, people at some point or another realize that, you know, that, that the information was completely false and they were leading them the wrong way and they stopped going to them anyway. There's plenty of a business to go around. It's like that medical spa that sends somebody for a surgical, the patient could go back there for their skin treatments and their lasers and their, you know, facials and Botox and all that kind of stuff. They lose that patient when they misguide them. And I think the bigger picture is it has to be. So we're, you know, from my, my perspective, I'm trying my best just to offer information to, to empower the person to be in the driver's seat. When they walk into a place like that, they're like, no, I kind of, I kind of know better now, you know, and I can, I can guide my own ship here. Totally. Okay. So you mentioned this earlier, like when you were talking about like how skin ages, but I think it would be helpful for our listeners to kind of learn like, okay, if there's like a roadmap to when we start to see certain aging happen to our skin. I remember when I turned 30, I remember looking at in the mirror and going, what the hell are these lines under my eyes? Or like, what's this crow's feet? Like, what's this crow's foot? It sounds like it's a movie, right? But like, that's what happens. Like one day you look in the mirror and you're like, hold on, that wasn't there before or I didn't notice it. First of all, I want to differentiate three categories. This will be really, really helpful. So on one, there's the skin aging changes, right? Skin. So I'm going to define what that is. Then the second one is volume changes, totally separate from skin. And the third thing is, is sagging changes, things that cause sagging. Because I think there's a lot of confusion. Sometimes when we think about, you know, 
do you think that these things have anything to do with each other? You know, it's like, oh, my skin is aging and that's why I'm starting to sag or, or, you know, my volume is deficient. That's why I'm starting to sag or why I look, you know, this way. So here's, here's the story. So the skin ages, basically, typically like you're going to start to notice those things in your like mid thirties for the most part, because I think, you know, genetically our, our, our cells and our body are set up to allow us to look our absolute best, you know, all the way almost to the end of our reproductive, you know, sort of years, right? And you got to think about evolutionarily, we weren't even supposed to be living this long. Just take that, take that into consideration. Just like less than 100 years ago, the average life expectancy was like 30 or 40, right? I mean, 100 years ago, pre-antibiotic and, and, uh, and you know, whatever. So suddenly we're going into our 80s. So now we've got real sort of new world problems to deal with, which is like all these aging changes before Missouri population wouldn't even see those changes in themselves. So there's the skin changes that talked about, you know, like fine lines, wrinkles, thinning, dullness, uh, pigmentation. It's typically somewhere around the thirties are going to start to manifest. It's almost like this, the body starts to, to care, right? And that starts to happening. Then there's the volume changes. Volume is where f- fat is being lost in the face. So areas like underneath the eyes, above the eyes, the temples, the lips, a little bit around the corner, you know, the, the areas around the chin, all those areas start to, to lose fullness. And the fullness is being lost is just because the fat pads are starting to, to shrink a little bit with age. And that's why you see, you know, eyes that look hollow, you see temples that are sunken in, you know, eyes that are kind of like sinking back a little bit, um, lips that are not as perky and full as they once were, that's all volume changes. That there's literally nothing you can do to, to you know, ward it off or prevent it, or that's totally out off limits in terms of prevention. Skin is totally in your control to prevent, but for the, thing, the ways we talked about. Then there's the sagging stuff. And so what, what causes sagging? Sagging is the change in the fascia. You know, the fascia of the face is what holds the whole face together. Think of it as like a, almost like a corset that's holding everything up and it's, and it's this uh, fibrous layer. That fibrous layer starts to loosen and lengthen as we age. So what ends up happening is typically right around the mid forties, these are sort of, you know, bell-shaped curve type, type ages. The majority of people starting around mid to late forties, the fascia starts to loosen up. So that's when they start to see their heart shape, you know, V-shaped neck starts to, to become more square. They get a little bit of jowling, a little bit of sagging. The labial folds get a little bit deeper. Corners of the brow starts to sag. You get extra skin around the eyelids, you know, and some people, the upper lip gets actually longer. So all of those changes are, are because the fascia is lengthening. That you cannot manage either. There's nothing you can physically do to prevent that from happening. Once it happens, um, it's just going to happen. The switch tends to be hormonal. For women, it tends to be perimenopausal. Like I think changes in estrogen, you know, and those type of uh, hormonal balances, somehow it becomes like an on switch to these these changes. And we see it also in patients who have ophorectomies, you know, their ovaries removed for whatever reason, and they go into premature menopause. We see those changes happening both to the skin and all these other, you know, cascade events that happen later on. So those are the three sort of things that are that are occurring. And, and as far as the, like what to do in your 20s and 30s, if you're listening to this and you're somewhere in that range, just sun protection and just, you know, just be mindful of, of sun exposure. 30s, you start getting into some active, uh, um, active ingredients, the ones we mentioned, continue sun protection, small, small little bits of volume replacement. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a hollow under the eye. You add a little bit of there, a little bit of the temple, but you kind of stay away from 
adding volume to actually lift the face because that's a common mistake that people are making. We've learned, I think at this point, we learned our lessons there, but still a lot of, a lot of people are making those mistakes, packing their cheeks full of filler. That's not ever really a good place to put volume. Maybe it'll replace a little bit in your lips to get that freshness back. And then once you get into the 40s, mid 40s and, and above, that's where you just have to pretty much be planning ahead that you're probably going to see that laxity coming. And that's when it's time to have some type of surgical intervention. If your goal is to continue to look as young as you feel and prevent your aging from fully manifesting, because because it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when you want to you know, address it. And so for most people nowadays, they want to address it as early in the spectrum as possible. And typically that comes out to be around that time. So are you saying that? All these collagen powders and supplements that people are using and the washa and massaging of our face, like it might help a little bit, but it's not going to help in the long run with the volume loss and, and the sagging. Now, of course, like stress, lifestyle, you know, sleep, you know, all, all these things are going to accelerate the onset of those changes to some degree, right? I mean, you see it with our presidents, right? They look like they aged like 20 years in a matter of a four, you know, four year period, like definitely stress going through something hard or whatever in life is going gonna, is gonna to accelerate the process, but the process is inevitable. It's going to happen at some point, no matter how much collagen and all these other things that you, you take or exercises or yoga and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, wash on these different things. I mean, they don't cost anything. It's not going to hurt anything. You know, you're just massaging a little bit. Probably the physical manipulation of your skin is actually giving it your skin a little bit of a positive impact, but it's not going to necessarily prevent the inevitable sagging that is going to come. And you shouldn't even think of it that way. I mean, just think about it. Everything in life truly does start to go towards entropy, right? I mean, entropy is a process, so it's going to go towards disorder. The face, your car, your house, your, you know, your clothes, everything is going to start to break down over time. And right around the 50s is sort of like your, your 50,000 mile tune-up, if you think of it that way. It's like you go in, you get freshened up and reinforce all these things, and off you go and live another 20 plus years without thinking about your face, just like you did from 30 to 50. Is there an area that you think that people sort of dismiss or don't think about when it comes to aging that you think can make a really big impact if it is treated? That's a tough one. I think the best place to put your energy, right? I mean, we think about like, what can you do that actually is going to make any kind of an impact in, in your aging? It's got to be skin. Skin's got to be the thing. And I think because like we just talked about, everything else is pretty much is going to happen. It's nature. The skin is the one thing. If anyone is thinking about looking youthful and looking as young as they feel, the skin effect, the, the exterior complexion and look of the skin, the quality of the skin is 50% of the story right? It literally is. So if you have beautiful skin and we see this in our patients sometimes. So we operate obviously on a wide range of patients from all over the world. And the ones who live in Northern hemisphere, like Canada, Washington, whatever, live there the whole life and barely saw any sun versus like our Southern California, Arizona patients who like literally baked in the sun, you know, especially in my age group, you know, when they're in teens and twenties, they're all they did was lay in the sun. You can get the facial shape back in position, but they don't look like a 30-year-old. You take a 60-something-year-old with, with supple, beautiful, youthful-looking skin because they've never seen sun and they've, either, and, and they've also maybe done some the right things for their skin along the way, and then you restore their facial shape surgically, they literally can't take them, tell them apart from like a 30, 40-year-old. Like it's insane. And they're like 60 or whatever age. You don't get the same effect when you have somebody with really sun-beaten skin and do that change. They look a lot better 
but they don't look like 30 or 40. So I think from a personal perspective, all the energy should be put in preserving and maintaining and improving the skin. So when the day does come that you do something surgical, then you're like really geared up for it and you're good to go at that point. Okay. So I love that answer. Sarah and I feel like let's pat ourselves on the back because we preach the gospel of stay out of the sun and wear SPF. That's what we do on this podcast. You guys, I mean, truly, you both look like you have incredible skin. And and this skin that you have can be your skin for literally your whole life. You just keep doing the things you're doing. And my wife was an incredible lesson for me because she grew up as a tennis player and a cross-country runner, marathoner, and all this kind of stuff. She was in the sun all the time. And by 35, we had some good friends that were dermatologists. And one of them put the fear of God in her, in her head about sun. Like, it was a crazy thing. Like, we never even thought about sun before and just really made her conscious of, of sun protection. Between that and then doing all these, you know, the things that we talked about from 35 until 50, she's 50 now, her skin literally looks like significantly better. And that's, you know, that's, it, that's restoring skin because her skin was, you know, just discolored. It had, you know, thinning, it was dull. It actually looks way brighter, better, more supple, all that stuff in 15 years of doing the right things. And a lot of it has to do with sun protection in addition to the active ingredients. So it's, it's a really, it's a powerful thing that, that is worth the time and energy. So good job to you guys to, to preach the, the right, uh, right message. Okay. But also like your wife is so lucky. <laughs> Truly on, on all accounts. I'm just saying. <laughs> in addition to the sunscreen, what treatments was she doing? Retinol, vitamin C, you know, growth factor. I mean, essentially all the things that eventually found its way into, you know, my skincare, <laughs> um, my trifecta. It's like all the things that she was doing became clear to me that those are the things that, that work and that need to be done. And that was about 50% of my inspiration of, um, of becoming heavily invested in, in skin in general. I didn't even think about you know, skincare line, we were always recommending, like I said, Zio and Skimedica and really having very in-depth conversations with our surgical patients three months after to try to organize them on a good um, skin hygiene regimen. And that it just became too difficult with all the different individual products they had to do and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a good place to put your time and energy for sure. Okay. It's filler time. Time to talk about filler. So you mentioned this briefly. You're like, filler in the cheek is just like not it anymore. Nobody's benefiting from that for the most part. So I saw on Instagram, you said that we have learned that filler doesn't actually dissolve. I think everyone initially with filler was like, hell yeah, it's hyaluronic acid, essentially. There's a version of fillers that use HA, right? And so it'll dissolve. It just dissolves over time. But I'm actually working on a story for Allure right now about filler migration. I definitely should have reached out to you, but now I have you for future stories. And it's been really interesting hearing from plastic surgeons and dermatologists saying, yeah, I mean, we're just we're noticing that that's not actually the case anymore. So like, what are your thoughts on filler in general? Is there a tasteful way to do filler or do you try to avoid it if possible? No. So here's the thing, as we talked about, like a 30 something year old with just a little bit of volume loss here and there. I mean, we're talking about take a syringe or two and spread it out over four or five different areas of the face, right? And then come back in like a year and maybe do a little bit of the same. So like tiny bits. Until, and again, in my practice, it's a little bit different. I have the luxury of doing fat transfer. So if I catch a 37-year-old with like, you know, true volume loss is global throughout their face, I'll do a fat transfer, not a filler, and then they're done with volume. But for, I would say for the majority of people, because it's such a rare procedure to do fat transfer, if, you know, doing it tastefully means doing a little bit to replace lost volume in areas like we mentioned, the temples, you know, you get a little bit hollow there, you put a little bit, tiny bit under the eyes, 
very, very thoughtful about, you know, what you're trying to do. And the only thing you should be trying to do is just simply replace what's been lost. But the problem is, this is where it gets totally messed up for, for both practitioners and patients. The person comes in with some laxity, either early or, or advanced. And, you know, for whatever reason, they're not thinking I want to do surgery. So they come in there and expecting the fillers to improve them. So that's where you start to get into high volumes of filler. And then, you know, it's like, okay, I put a bunch in the cheek. I put some in the temple. I put it around the mouth, this and that. The person's looking at themselves like, yeah, but I still kind of look a little bit loose and saggy. Six months later, I'm going to go back and have more filler. You know, the person happily puts more filler into their face, same pattern. And it just becomes this layering of filler over and over and over again. And this has been the pattern for the last, you know, 10 plus, probably 15 years now, since all these different fillers have become available on the market. And what ends up happening, number one, the sagging still continues to, to be there. It doesn't do anything for that. But what's happening is the second that filler hits the tissues, your body senses that as a foreign body, right? Because a filler does not belong in the body by any, any stretch. I mean, hyaluronic acid in its pure form is all throughout our body. But hyaluronic acid in its pure form gets broken down within 24 hours. So you, what good, you know, does it do? So you have to cross-link it into this you know, sort of way that allows it to basically survive in the body longer. And that's where you get the six months, nine months of duration from it. But during that entire process, your body is literally waging war on that filler, right? It's trying to get rid of that filler. And that process of trying to break it down is inflammatory. I mean, that's the very nature. It's creating an inflammatory process to dissolve this filler. And the filler is fighting back with all their cross-linking and making it really hard on the, on the body to, to dissolve it. And that tug of war consequence is collagen in the way of scar tissue, right? So on one hand, you're like, oh, because you know that's another thing that people advertise, like, oh yeah, you'll get collagen synthesis as a result of these fillers. Well, collagen by definition is what scar is. Now you're putting scar in different parts of the face that either eventually will lead to a, a permanent volume you know, situation where you're actually full before you know it, and it's not because of the filler anymore, it's because of the layering of this scar tissue that, that built up. So you're stuck with that volume now, like you're truly stuck with it. And then there's the other thing, and this has just happened, I just operated this morning on a patient, a 44-year-old from Dubai, who, you know, I get in there and it's like, everything is sticky. It's like, you know, it's, it feels like concrete in there. Everything is, you know, the planes aren't separating well and this and that turns out that, you know, she's tried everything under the moon between, you know, the last however many years from like tons of fillers, you know, threads, all these different things, all of them creating all this like inflammatory scar tissue, which made the operation infinitely more difficult because, you know, it's hard enough to operate in, in the right plane and not injure nerves and all this kind of stuff. But now you've got fillers that are making everything sticky and hard to, to separate. And, you know, I mean, I do this every day, so I'm used to this type of, uh, this type of anatomy. But let's take a surgeon, an average surgeon who does, you know, faceless once or twice a month because that's kind of like their normal volume. They get a face that is packed in with filler and they get in there. That puts that patient at a huge amount of risk. That surgeon has nowhere near the experience that I do dealing with those type of faces. And now the patient is going to have a much higher risky surgery because of that situation, let alone the deformity that can't be corrected because there's volume in places that it shouldn't be there. So there's a lot of a lot of very, very important lessons we've learned along this way. But I think it's a matter of, of recognizing that these are actual lessons and admitting the lessons and just not making the mistakes continuously over and over again. Okay, I'm actually now terrified because I have filler in my face. So help me out, Doc. Like, do I need to be going to get it dissolved? Like, what do I need? Help me. 
No, 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 no. Don't dissolve because dissolving it is worse. Just, I mean, just be mindful that you don't, you don't uh, put too much of it. Stay off of it. Okay. Yeah. Because here's the other thing that this is actually very, very important um, perspective. What's happening to us as a, as kind of a, a consumer society, we, I mean, in the aesthetic consumer society, we're, we're starting to view perfection as the actual, you know, sort of endpoint that things should be at. When it comes to volume, and this is true, I mean, you start looking around town, like look at 20 year olds. There, there's a lot of 20 year olds that have deficiency in volume, like by like our current standards, which we think everything should be completely full. They're, like the mid faces are flat, tear troughs are there, temples are a little bit hollow, but you know what? They still look like they're 20. They don't look, actually, they don't look like they're older. You might look a little bit more tired because of the tear trough deformity, et cetera, but it's a normal part of a face. But we've become so accustomed to seeing, you know, this idea that you have to get rid of everything and, and pushing fillers all the way to the absolute, you know, sort of breaking point, you know, sort of our set point of where we should stop has become elevated. And like, it's okay to be a little bit volume depleted. You know, again, if you have nice looking skin and you have overall good facial shape, which comes from the laxity, a little bit of volume loss will never make you look like an older person. It'll just make you look maybe a little bit more tired and that's okay. You know, so I think we just have to change our perspective of what is is normal and, and, uh, and okay to live with. So how long? Did that surgery take you this morning? I mean, it, it didn't. It didn't take me that much longer. But like I said, I mean, I do this all the, all the time. You know, your level of alertness and concentration on how to manipulate and do whatever goes up. You know, but I was just like, as I was going through it, I was like, geez, this would be kind of a nightmare for somebody who you know doesn't do this very often and then gets into this type of uh, this type of a phase. But it's so common nowadays, I would say almost more common than not to have some level of this to deal with uh, surgically. That's incredible. Yeah, that that description really terrified me too, Kirby. The stickiness. The stickiness. Oh my God. I'm like, well, when Dr. Karam opens my face, I like want to make sure I'm not like sticky. <laughs> Better be smooth in there, Kirby. I'm going to be like, how was it, Doc? Was it good? Okay, great. <laughs> Love to hear it. He's like, you're crazy. Speaking of your specialty, what people are flying all over from around the world to you for what's on Kirby's birthday wish list, <laughs> the Vertical Restore. I mean, it's incredible. Your work is absolutely incredible, like jaw-dropping, like yeah, Kirby's watched all the videos. I've watched a lot of them too, maybe not as many as Kirby, but it's it's just so, so impressive. So can you walk us through, like, what does the vertical restore entail? What's recovery look like? How does it differ from other facelifts? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay, so let's start with how does it differ? So the, the, the traditional, when I say traditional, I'm talking about probably 90 something percent of the facelifts that are still being done today is a horizontally oriented facelift, right? It goes side to side. The origin of that is just because that's the way we started, you know, understanding and learning about how the face, we just, just go, go sideways. You know, it's like there's looseness, let's pull sideways towards the ear. And then what ends up happening is one professor teaches their, their student, the student goes on and does it this way for their whole career. And then, you know, they become a professor and they teach it. So it just becomes this, this sort of thing. So as a result, we have this bias towards horizontal direction, you know, side to side. For many people, they look at that and they're like, geez, that person doesn't even look like themselves anymore. They look like their lip has been pulled, their face has become flat, and they kind of look like a little bit of an alien, not, not such a hot look for a facelift. But we've learned that, you know, we just kind of 
just put facelifts into this category of, oh yeah, if you get a facelift, you're probably going to look weird. You know, that, that type of thing. It's because of that orientation. But what was interesting, and this happened to me very, very early in my um, practice. I remember somebody, I think casually just kind of talking, it was another plastic surgeon who doesn't even specialize in facelifts. It was from New York and it was just talking to me about like how when patients talk to them about what they want, they put their fingers on their cheeks and their jaw and they go upward. You know, it's like this direction. So they're going upward with it. And, and then he was like, yeah, but it's ironic because then we pull them sideways. They want to go up and we go sideways. And like a light bulb went off on my head. I'm like, oh my God, that makes you know a lot of sense. Like, Because that looks normal when you go up, up and down. It looks normal, but it looks weird when you go the other way. And by the way, just a backstory, when I would watch my professors do those traditional facelifts, it actually got me to a point where I said, I'm not doing facelifts, at, which is super ironic now because that's all I do now. But I literally said, all I'm going to do is rhinoplasty and cancer reconstruction because this whole facelift thing is for the birds. It looks terrible. It's like weird. I couldn't imagine participating in that. That was like before this concept. And then this concept came into my uh, world and that in combination with replacing volume all sort of happened simultaneously. So then what happened is I became a fellow and I started doing these vertically oriented. I started reading and, you know, there's a handful of surgeons in the country at the time that were, they were actually doing things in a vertical direction. So I started doing that approach for 10 years, going more or less vertical after 10 years, I just looked back at my results and they're always extremely natural. Like literally facelift number one as a fellow. I think one of these days I'll do a post show like my fellowship cases. I mean, they looked incredible relative, you know, I mean, they're just natural, normal looking people with, without jowls and, and necks. And so that became sort of my overall signature is a natural looking result and no one looked like they had surgery, et cetera. So that got my, my practice busy. So as a result, I was just doing this type of work over and over again. But after about 10 years, I started looking back at my own results and I thought, okay, how can I make things better? Because again, I, somebody told me a while ago, like every 10 years, you have to kind of like be super honest with yourself and look at look at what you've done and your body of work and realize if it can be improved upon. And, and then if it can, it can do it. So there's a few weaknesses. I, my previous technique didn't address the mid-face. And I felt that I could probably do a better job in the neck. That was, that was the two areas. And then the third thing I thought was, um, I want to have a result that is the longest lasting result humanly possible. Because I don't want these patients to undergo something and then have to feel like they need something done anytime soon, you know? Mm -hmm. And so typically a facelift, generally speaking, looks pretty good for the first three years and then it starts to deteriorate. I want something that was much, much longer. So what ended up happening was simultaneously, my approach was because of the vertical orientation, when you go vertical, you end up having to address the lateral brow section too. So it became clear to me that aging is a, is a process that affects the corners, the fascia, the fascia that affects the upper third of the face, the lateral brow, the mid face, the jawline and neck. And that we've been always making a mistake thinking these things as separate. You know, they're, they're, we were always like, you know, oh, I'm going to do a brow lift. Oh, I'm going to do, you know, a face lift, which is a jawline lift and a neck lift. Like all of these things are literally one thing and their their process of aging is happening together. So why not make a single operation that addresses all four areas at the same, same time? And that's where the concept um, was born. And then I wanted to address the mid-face and get durability. I knew I had to get into the deep plane. And the deep plane is a much more advanced and difficult style of lift to do because it, you know, it works in a very delicate plane. There's facial nerves nearby, all this kind of stuff. So you have to be pretty proficient. And I don't think I was ready to do it early on in my career. And, but after 10 plus years, I felt, you know, good enough as a surgeon to be able to handle it. And then, so I did it. And, um, and I took that idea to a cadaver lab and I started messing with, you know, with the procedure 
a bunch of time. And then I was like, wow, this, this works and I can do it. I came back that week, that Monday, literally. And so the next patient who was on the schedule got basically what is now the vertical restore. At that point, it wasn't called that. It was for me jaw dropping to see the level of movement, because what happens in the deep plane is you release the ligaments of the face. So you get a lot more movement. Essentially, instead of pulling against the ligaments, you're releasing them. And by releasing them, all of a sudden, there's like this massive amount of movement. And, and I had full freedom to go vertically. In, in this case, I wanted to, as opposed to horizontal, which was more traditional deep plane. And then, you know, doing all this deep stuff in the neck. And so all of a sudden, I'm looking down at this patient. I'm going, wow, this thing looks incredible. Even though my previous results were, let's call them A's, this was like an A-plus looking result, you know? And I could sense that the patients after during the recovery were like, their level of enthusiasm was even higher than they were before, even though they didn't know that they were getting, they were signing up for something different. So I don't know, maybe five, six months later, I trademarked it only because what ends up happening a lot of times in, in our industry, kind of going back to the first point we made, people will say they're doing something that they're, they're not actually doing. So somebody might say they're doing a deep plane and they're literally just like entering the deep plane like a centimeter as opposed to like the full extent of it. And so I didn't want the um, patients to be misled saying, oh, I'm doing such and such vertical restore. And in fact, they're not. So I wanted to protect the integrity of the, of the brand or the name so that no one outside of me could be doing it unless I gave the person like training or permission to actually to be doing that exact procedure. So the patient gets to know what they're actually doing. But that's kind of the evolution. And it's been amazing because, you know, obviously the naturalness is huge, but the level of correction, no matter where you are in the continuum of aging is pretty, uh, pretty amazing because it's always full correction. You know, it was like every bit of laxity is gone. The necks are great. You know, mid-face bringing that mid-face up is such a pretty effect in terms of shape. It gives you that heart-shaped effect, that V-shape in the jawline. So it's been fun. It's been a great, uh, great addition to have that in, in the, you know, sort of toolbox for, to be able to offer patients. I'm surprised to hear that a traditional facelift like only really lasts three years before it starts to deteriorate. I don't know why I thought that it was longer. Remember, we just said that this ligament issue is, is the problem. See, the ligaments hold the face into position. There's like these clusters of connective tissue that go from the bone to the skin. When you do a traditional facelift, and even my previous face, you're actually pulling against those ligaments, but the ligaments are fixed to the bone. So there's only so far they can pull with you. And there's this little bit of a tug of war effect that's going on. So eventually between that and just sort of like the fact that you weren't able to get it to go up as much, it gets to a point where it loses its freshness very, you know, relatively soon. But when you release it, boom, it just goes right into, you know, like travels, you know, an inch or two beyond the ligament level. And you're like, okay, this is, even if it gives a little bit of give, you know, it gives an inch of give or half an inch of give, that's still going to be a massive improvement over where it started from. And so that release is a, is a big part of it. And it also doesn't look stretched when you do it that way, because when you're pulling against a fixed structure, it makes the face kind of look pulled or stretched. This doesn't give you that effect. Okay. We have to know, like ballpark, how much is this going to cost? How much am I throwing down? How much do we need to save? <laughs> okay, so keep this concept evergreen, honestly, because our prices do change um, a little bit over time. The best, best way to do this is literally just say, check out the website because we're super transparent about it. Um, you go on the website, you hit the link to make a consult or whatever, and boom, all the prices are right there. And that way, if somebody sees us six months from now or a year from now or listens to this, you know, they'll get an accurate pricing as opposed to whatever we're talking about today. Okay, I'm going to be doing that in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we want to talk about your skincare line. As you mentioned earlier in the pod, you launched this recently, like the past year? Yeah, it was in September, actually. 
Okay. So tell us a little bit about it. Carum MD, you have the trifecta. And I know that there's another product coming soon. So tell us about it. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, watching my wife improve her skin made me realize that skin can actually be you know, effectively improved, as we talked about. Second thing I came to realization was this 50-50 concept where young-looking skin coupled with young-looking facial shape is huge. So five, six years ago, after a lot of frustration of not being able to maintain patients on the proper skincare regimen, as I mentioned, is once you know what a proper skincare regimen is, it ends up being a minimum of like six to eight steps, right? I mean, when you include all the different components, retinol, vitamin C, hyaluronic acid, stem cell, whatever, all these different pieces, moisturizer, et cetera. I mean, right there is like five, five steps right there. And it would get expensive too when you're doing all these different things. Management was hard. So there's a lot of reasons why people couldn't stay on it. So what I basically thought was why do we have all these different steps? Like, why can't all of those things literally live in a single bottle? You just apply it, you know, whatever, once a day or twice a day, whatever it is, and you're good. So I took that idea to a number of labs and everyone says, no, it's impossible. These things physically can't, can't live properly together. They need to be separated and all that kind of stuff. Finally, I found a lab that was willing to take on this project. It took about four years playing around with it, the formulation, working it out, et cetera, to get it. Now the Illuminate, which is kind of the all-in-one component of it, powerhouse piece, has 20 different active ingredients in it. It has all of the, the big name ones that we just mentioned, like everything that addresses the changes that we mentioned up front, you know, from dehydration, fine lines and wrinkles, you know, moisture, pigmentation, pores, all of these different things that are happening. We, I wanted something or set of something to address. And that's basically where Illuminate came from. So as I, as that was being, being sort of worked on, I also realized that cleansing is a super important part of skin. And most people don't know how to properly cleanse the skin. And so non-foaming, you know, gentle with anti-inflammatories around it to help improve, you know, the, the surface inflammation of the skin. So everything can get absorbed. So then realized we need to add a cleanser, a proper cleanser to it so we can control that piece. And then vitamin C just, you know, it's just vitamin C. It's like really, really important. So looked at what's a better vitamin C than ascorbic acid. So ascorbic acid lives inside Illuminate, but there's a combination of three different vitamin Cs, both lipid and water soluble that actually work better head to head than straight ascorbic. So we made the, the second step in this vitamin C. So it's, it's rinse, quench, and Illuminate. These are the three steps. And so it's so easy to use that I figured if, you know, if you can make it easy and effective, then people are actually going to use it and use it consistently, which what we talked about is the key to, you know, good long-term skin anti-aging. So put all this together. Finally, it all came out, launched in, in, uh, in September. I mean, obviously a bunch of people had used it before, so I knew it was, it was good and effective, but, uh, since, since, um, September, had a lot of people getting into it just based on on faith in me or whatever, and the feedback was incredible. Like you know, it was like it works so well. Like pigmentations are improving. I love it. This and that. And the other thing, but I, I had to know for sure if this is truly effective or if there's some type of like placebo, Dr. Karam, like, you know, I believe in what he says effect, you know, going on. So I took it and I got, I sent it to a lab in the East Coast, which is super rare for, for skincare products, especially sets of, you know, where there are combinations because things don't always work well together, you know, so they kind of like offset each other. But then I said, okay, the trifecta is the product. Let's get this thing tested to make certain that on objective data, things that like, 
that are being measured by machines as opposed to, you know, someone's perception that is fine. So they looked at all of those things that we just talked about, like, you know, skin tension, moisture levels, discoloration, tone and texture, you know, all of that stuff, like a, a bunch of different things. It was a two month study. And the thing like blew the study out of the water. I mean, way better than I ex actually expected. Like the p-values were 0.001 and all you need is a 0.05 to be technically effective. This was 0.001, it was huge. And uh, and then there's a subjective component where the people look at the, you know, they give you their, at the end of their trial, because it's all blinded. They don't know what they're putting on their skin. They just get these like white bottles and they put it on. And it, like the subjective stuff that is on a five scale, everything was like four and fives of how much they liked and the changes they saw on their skin. So as a result, that even gave me even more confidence and boost in terms of that we have something that's highly, highly effective, all encompassing, addresses all the all the basic needs. And it's so easy to use because it literally takes like a minute to put on. You know what I mean? It's like you put the cleanser in the shower and then you just put those two steps on and you're done in less than like 45 seconds. And the way to get around the retinol and the vitamin C sensitivities, you know, high doses of stuff can cause people to, to their skin to have issues. We um, divided the doses in half and did it into a um, twice a day situation in addition to creating like an extended release form with it so basically between extended release and using it um, in, in split doses the skin doesn't uh, balk at it and one of my goals was that it would be right for every skin type you know dry oily anything any age in addition to, I didn't want people to have to use like an eye cream and a neck cream, you know, because I thought those kind of was kind of a silly thing. It's like your neck skin and your eye skin needs the same stuff. So make it to where it could be usable on all those areas. So men, women, you know, everything is super easy. Just play. it's like, and I always joke, I think it's subconsciously, it was kind of designed for me because as, as I as good, as much as I knew skincare is super important, I could not do what it took to get, you know, all these steps. So I just never did skincare. So now I'm like happily doing it because it's just so easy for me to do. But I think for men, especially, it's really easy to not have to go through this. But I think for anyone to not to take all the thinking out of it, it's like, what should I use? What should I not use? Oh, this part of the product ran out. You know, I got to go get this part filled. Like everything is designed to, to start and run out together. It's like a four to six week run. And then for patients, they get on a subscription. So it gets um, delivered to their house and uh, they never have to, because that's the other thing on, on a genetic level. If, if your fibroblasts, for example, are upregulated and building up collagen, you take a break for a little while, everything goes back to baseline. The consistency and, and continuity is really important. And that it's hard when something runs out and you don't realize it, and then you have to like, you have to take a break from it and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of really interesting aspects of it, but the, the best is the fact that um, it actually, you know, works so well. I'm finally in a spot where I can actually start a new skincare routine because, you know, Sarah and I as editors, like we are constantly trying new stuff, but. Oh, I know you guys are like, yeah, yeah. It takes time. Like we can't like mix and match stuff. So now I'm like ready. I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm about to dive in. Did I, did we send you any? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. You guys got to definitely try it and let me know. I can't wait. This is like simplifies everything. It saves so much time, which is incredible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool. Okay, Dr. K, 
we are going to end this with something I'm sure you've seen trending on like TikTok and Instagram. It's the five things I would never do as a plastic surgeon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about this. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have five off the top of my head that that, uh, that I wouldn't do. I mean, so the things that, that I wouldn't do are basically the um, Kybella. It was such a disappointment for me to see this product that's been around for 20 plus years get, get bought by um, Allergan which at the time was, in my opinion, a very high integrity sort of a company that only had like good products, you know, Botox, Juvederm, these are all good products. And then they got into Kybella, which, I mean, the whole concept is completely ridiculous. You know, I've seen more damage from that and, and just you know, somebody with like a heavy waddle coming in here and then uh, getting Kybella and it just looks like this empty sack at the end of the thing. It's just terrible. So Kybella is, is a big no-no. Threadlifts makes no sense to me at all. You know, Threadlifts have been around training. They, they came out with this company, it was called Contour Threadlifts, which was a permanent barbed suture that went through the face. And it was supposed to be like the answer to all laxity. Made a huge marketing splash every Everyone, all surgeons, everyone got into it. I did like three cases as a fellow. And I was looking at this thing. I was like, this is ridiculous. All the skin's bunched up and patients were in a ton of pain and all this. And I'm like, where's all the skin going to go? Like, where, how is this going to you know, manifest? Well, sure enough, I mean, after a few weeks, the, the pain went away. It took a while for the pain to go away. And everything kind of just like kind of fell again. And then, you know, it was like pointless. So it took about two years. And then that company bankrupt or left or whatever happened, thank God. But then 10 years plus years later, then all of a sudden these PDO threads come around. Same sort of story. I mean, they, they, they last maximum like three to six months, which for somebody with laxity, no one, you know, we're talking about five years not being good enough, like let alone, you know, three to six months is like really pointless. And there's about a 40% complication rate associated with it. It's not a benign little thing to do. I mean, it's an invasive thing. I mean, you're putting threads in there, you know, there's risk of infection, puckering, nerve damage, all these different things that can happen. So that's definitely something I'm not, uh, not a fan of. Radio frequency, you know, deep radio frequency devices. I'm not a fan of those either because what ends up happening with the, with the deep RF um, treatments, the skin is about one or two millimeters deep, right? So when these RF devices put energy into four millimeters, for example, because they're trying to quote unquote tighten the fascia, well, what's between the skin and that fascia is all your subcutaneous fat you know, the fat that keeps the skin kind of supple and plump looking. So putting lasers in and all of a sudden you're hearing all these patients saying, you know, I'm starting to look like I'm aging. I'm starting to sag my skin. You know, I look like I'm losing volume. Well, sure enough, they are because that fat is starting to melt away. And of course, you're not getting actual tightness because what lives right behind the fascia is the facial nerve. So you can't even put energy deep enough to get to the fascia without risking the facial nerve. And if you do, then you're going to oftentimes cause a little nicking of, uh, you know, the facial nerve um, situation, which is obviously not a, uh, not a really good thing for anyone. Then the other, other one is, I think now we've learned our lesson that the liquid facelift, and I kind of embarrassed by this because I used to run ads in our local magazine about like the liquid facelift and we see that's part of the thing is like you got to learn from your mistakes and and be admit them when you make a mistake like that was a completely well-intentioned concept to give an alternative for somebody who doesn't want surgery but we've learned that it doesn't actually work so putting in filler into this part of the cheek is a very very problematic effect because it just makes you three-dimensionally broader looking. Meanwhile, your your lower face is sagging and it ends up making you look like a box, like a square, you know? And that's never a, a, a good look. So the whole concept of a liquid facelift is uh, is definitely not an idea that I'm, I'm a big fan of. And then I think the other one, the sort of last one, is this whole notion of like the cat eye. 
you know, the, the like br- the lateral brow lift that's supposed to lift the corner, the fox eye, cat eye effect, you know, that you see, see trending sometimes. Those type of things, unfortunately, as a general point, anything that changes your fundamental appearance on a trend is a bad idea. So think about like huge lips, right? I mean, there was a period of one of the Kardashians had like really big lips. And like, we were getting people coming in wanting two syringes, three syringes of filler, massive lips. And then sure enough, you, you realize after a while, like, okay, that's, I mean, we never participated in that at all. Like that was just not, we knew that we didn't have to learn our lesson there. That was just, <laughs> this is a bad idea. To, but the, uh, but the thing is, it didn't take long. And then all of a sudden that trend went away. And then you're hearing about, you know, dissolving the, the lip. The problem is when you dissolve the stuff, it, it gets end up, ends up lumpy bumping a lot of situations. You have to do it over and over again to kind of work out these things. So in general, treating any type of um, facial feature in a trend fashion is a bad idea because trends end and it's not like a pair of shoes or, you know, a color <laughs> blouse or something like that. That's going to, that you just throw away or whatever. This is like, it could cause some serious, serious uh, permanent changes on the face. This was so informative. I, I like commit to memory, commit to, this was my jam. No, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh shit. I've done yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay. No more RF. Like no more this, no more this. Like I got to make sure this mug is good to go for my vertical restore in a few years. Okay. And the RF, like we have an RF device, but we've specifically got one that, that, uh, only treats the skin layer. I mean, it's to treat the skin is okay. You just stay like one or two millimeters maximum. You know, our usual treatments are like half a millimeter to a millimeter. You know, it's okay to add a little energy into the skin that does stimulate more collagen, potentially a little bit more tightness. <clears throat> microneedling in of itself is a great, you know, great treatment. But add a little RF, but it's like when you try to use RF microneedling to replace a facelift or to tighten, you know, tissue, that's where you run into the potential issues because now all of a sudden you're going kind of like outside of logical you know, boundaries. Totally. Dr. Karam, thank you so much. This was incredible. This was like clearly my favorite episode we've ever done. Tell us where everyone can find you online and then also your skincare line. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my Instagram is and YouTube channel, both are really informative. Um, I don't know, do you, do you guys follow or have you seen any of my YouTube stuff? Yeah, your YouTube is great. Yeah, YouTube is it's fun. It's, it's good stuff because you have more time to explain things. Um, so it, the, both are DR. Amir Karam, A-M-I-R Karam. And uh, the skincare stuff can, can be found on KaramMD Skin. That's the Instagram. And www.karamMDSkin.com is where you can uh, look it up and, and uh, you know, buy it if you're interested in it. And uh, we have a brand new website that I think is, is really um, going to give a lot more ease of information and, and be able to see things and things like that. So definitely check it out. You'll love it. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts, I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Los Angeles was created by us, Kirby Johnson, and Sarah Tan. It's part of the ACAST network and licensed by Vice Media Group.